Well, good morning, and uh, it is good to be back with you this morning. A big thank you to Roman, and an uh, excellent job he did in Genesis chapter 3. And as Stephen said, if you have your Bibles, open up to the Gospel of John. That's where we'll be beginning this morning. In Isaiah, we spoke about the servant. In Malachi, he was the messenger of the covenant. And this morning, we meet the one, the descendant of Eve. He is the Word. The Word. Now, normally when we start a new series, we begin by reading the book that we're going to study. But since it takes two hours to read the Gospel of John, uh, we decided for the duration of at least this series, what we'll be doing is we'll be reading the Scripture, we'll be expounding on, uh, and, and, and praying right before uh, we, di- we dig in. So uh, normally, on the very beginning of a new book, we take the time and I do kind of a survey sermon, a, a, an explanation of the whole book. But this morning, we're able to, in the prologue of John, the first 18 verses, to just begin expounding, because what John does in this gospel is the very beginning, he gives us the good news. It's the gospel, meaning good news. What he does is he gives us ten threads of this good news that that are woven through the entirety of the book. But he gives it to you on the front end. So imagine with me, if you would, that somebody came and gave you an incredibly valuable gift. And they said, hey, can you hold this for me for a moment? So imagine with me. Somebody gives you this incredibly valuable gift, and, and they said, hold this for me for a moment. And you take it in your hands. And as while you're holding it, They take the next two hours to explain to you the true and incredible value of what you're actually already holding. And they bring eyewitnesses in to testify about what the good news has done and how the good news, this one the good news is about, has impacted their life and changed the course of their entirety and eternity. And at the end of the good news, towards the end of this two-hour time, you say, well, what, what am I supposed to do with this that you just gave me? And John tells us this in John chapter 20, verse 21. That, that you believe in it, and, and in His name you would have life. The Gospel is given to be believed and therein to, to live, and to have life eternal in His name. So this is the picture that John gives us. You must make a choice. The good news is good news, but it confronts you from the very beginning. He doesn't slow lead into the Gospel. He gives us the Gospel. We're going to look at these ten threads this morning. Ten Gospel components we're going to see woven through the rest of the book. And you and I must make a decision. He makes the listener make a decision from the very beginning. He places it in our hands, and we must make a decision. Either A, we set the gospel down and take up our old lives, and we continue living the way we were, as though this good news has not radically impacted our lives or the testimony we've been listening to for the two hours, or B, we deny ourselves, take up our cross, and follow Jesus. We have rest in Him, the one in whom we have life. The choice is ours to make. That's what good news does. It confronts us. But it is good news. So, church family, as we begin the Gospel of John, and perhaps you noticed in your bulletin 10 points, you might have been terrified. I'm glad you stayed when you saw that. But we'll be moving through these rather quickly. And you've noticed in your outline, probably, that there is the text we'll read, and then there's just one, even though there was numerous different threads we could have followed, you'll see, I wanted to give us a time as we go through the Gospel of John, we'll be flipping all over the place, but you'll read 
that text, I'll expound it a little bit, and we'll go and look and see where that thread picks up through the rest of the Gospel of John. So if you're not a believer, if you've not received the good news, if you've not received life in His name, then come to Jesus, receive the gift of eternal life, believe in Jesus. But for many of us, I'd imagine we, we've already believed in Jesus. So, so what is my hope for us in our life? Why go through a Gospel like John? It's that it would renew us that we would re- be reminded of the incredible value of the Gospel, the power of the Gospel. That we would be rekindled in our love and, and see with fresh eyes the goodness of Jesus and exactly who this eternal Word is and what He desires to do in our lives as we're learners and followers of Him. So let's notice first and foremost this morning that the pre-existing Word is God and was with God in the beginning. Verses 1 through 3 of John chapter 1. The pre existing word is God and was with God in the beginning. The first thread. 1 through 3. Read it again. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. Just as Genesis 1-1 begins in the beginning, so too John frames his gospel in the same way. He takes us back to the very beginning. But in the beginning was the Word. Wait. The beginning was the Word, and the beginning is God. He was with God, and He was God. Who is the Word? For centuries and centuries, the Hebrews waited. Who is this Messiah? Who is this anointed one of God? And John begins by telling us this good news that we're holding at the very beginning, asking a question and causing us to ponder, wait, how is this possible? Who is this man? None of us were there in the beginning. You see, what we have here is revelation. Scripture is revelation, God revealing Himself to us. None of us were there in the beginning. No test tube can describe this for us, but God in His love reveals Himself to us, and He has given us His Word. He's given us His Word, and He's given us the Word. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The pre-existing Word. So as we're taking in this good news and we're holding it in our hands, we see, okay, so, so the Word is eternal. He's always been. And the good Hebrew that hears this must begin right away from the very beginning to begin to reconcile. But there's one God. But the Word has always been and the Word was God. And He was with God. And right away, the good news, it's good news, causes the Hebrew, causes the good listener to realize this isn't something I can just set down. This is something that's going to radically change my life because I'm moved to an action step. I'm a good Hebrew, I must choose either to receive this news that now there's, so there's there's one God, but two persons here. That's a claim of divinity. Already, Leviticus tells me as a good Hebrew that I must kill this man 
as a community of faith, were to take up stones and to kill this man because he's claiming to be God. Now, we don't see all that yet. We'll see that in the coming threads. But the good news, the listener, what the good news does is it confronts us and it makes us say, I must do something. I cannot just say, that's a good story. It's either worth the allegiance of my life or it's worth my killing of this man that claims to be God in the beginning. He was with God and he was God. You see how the truth confronts us. The gospel confronts us. We can't just say it's a good story. It's either true and worth our everything or it's false and, and, and requires us to kill it. For the Pharisees, it required them to kill Jesus as they desired to kill him, accusing him of blasphemy. Now for you, we don't kill Jesus, we don't want to kill the messenger, but you must kill this story if you do not believe and you do not receive the word with who he says he is. That's the power of the good news. It's good news. It's life to all who believe that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the God, and that by believing you may have life in His name. That's what we see of the Word from the very beginning. In John 17, flip over to John 17 and see the reaction, the natural response that takes place. Now here He's called the Word. He'll be called throughout this letter, Lord, Teacher, Rabbi. But the name by which the word will be most called in the Gospel of John is the word Son. He'll be called the Son more than any other phrase given to Him as this word becomes flesh and dwells among us. He'll be called the Son. And in the Old Testament, God is virtually never referred to as Father. But here in the Gospel of John alone, this fourth Gospel, 120 times God is referred to as the Father because Jesus is the Son. The Son shows us more clearly who God is. The threads are there in the Old Testament. We see that as the New Testament unpacks this more clearly for us. But we know God more intimately in who the Son is. But look what the Pharisees do, realizing Jesus' claim to be the pre-existing Word of God, who was with God in the beginning. In John 17, 1-5, Jesus in His high priestly prayer, before His crucifixion, He prays this in His prayer. Notice what He says. When Jesus had spoken these words, He lifted up His eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify Your Son that the Son may glorify You since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all, who have, who all you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God. And Jesus Christ, whom you have sent, I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed." We read in the servant songs in Isaiah 42 and 48 leading into 49 that God does not share His glory with any other. Yahweh will not share His glory with another. And yet here's the Word in flesh. Here is Jesus. Here is the Son praying and speaking to God about the glory that He had with Him before. This is no mere man. Who is this Word? What will I do with him? He is to be worshipped. So the Greeks believed, we talked about the Jews, but the Gentiles believed the Jews would only worship God.
God, one true God. Here, Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Unity and all those things. But the Romans worshipped in such a way that they believed divinity was on a scale. So idols and things like that, you, they were somewhat God, demigods, we might say, many gods. But not Jesus. Jesus doesn't claim to be part God. He is coming and desiring full worship because he is God of the Jews and to the Gentiles. And so it confronts the Romans on this side to say, you must stop worshiping them because they're not God at all, but I am God. And it confronts the Hebrews to say, as you worship Yahweh, you claim to believe in the Father, you must also worship me because I am Him. I am the Son. I'm not the Father, but I'm divine of the same essence. Sharing identity in essence with Yahweh. The same substance. The claim of the Word is causes us to say, what do I do with this good news? What do I do with this thread? So first, the pre-existing Word is God and was with God in the beginning. Second, true life is found in the Word. True life is found in the Word. Verse 4, in Him was life. Jesus possesses the power to give life and to take life. Look over to Deuteronomy. Let's keep this marked. Let's look over to Deuteronomy 32, 39. This unique claim that John gives of the Word. The Word then functions for you and I as an eyewitness of creation. An eyewitness of all things. He was there from the beginning. He's an eyewitness, but one will come before him that is also an eyewitness. That will sin. John the Baptist. We'll talk about him shortly. But here in Deuteronomy, in Deuteronomy 32-39, we see... An attribute of God that He alone gives life. Deuteronomy 32, 39, I myself am He. There is no God besides me. I put to death and I bring to life. So with that in mind of Yahweh, the Lord, what does Jesus say? What's said of the Word? In Him was life. God created all things for life and, and for us to live abundantly. That's why God made us for abundant life. He didn't create us for death. The trauma of death, it shakes us in ways we don't even understand. The trauma of loss, it rips us apart. God did not create us for death or divide and loss. He created us for life. And in the Word is life. Who is this Word? The reader already beginning to hear this good news now has this second component that in Him is life. The law was given graciously of God. The law, the Torah, the teaching of God was given graciously by God for the Hebrew people, for Israel, to live in a pleasing way, knowing God and, 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 and trusting Him. And in the law, they were to have life as they lived obediently to the way of the Lord. Listen, I'll read it for you. Deuteronomy 5, 32-33. Listen to this. The Torah speaks of this is the way of life. The Torah was the way of life. If we would have asked a good Hebrew, what's the way of life? They would have said that the Torah is the way of life. The teaching is the way of life. And they would have been right. Deuteronomy 5, 32-33 says, and the Lord says to Israel, and they're entering into the land, you shall be careful, therefore, to do as the Lord your God has commanded you. You should not turn aside to the right hand or to the left hand, 
You shall walk in all the way that the Lord your God has commanded you, that you may what? Live. And that it may go well with you, and that you may live long in the land that you shall possess. And here we see now that the Word Himself claims to be what? Life. Life. Israel entering into the land and many of the Pharisees believing, you know what, if we keep the law well enough, if we live by the way well enough, if we live by the way of life well enough, the Lord will evict the Romans and will have the land. Jesus comes, the Word here, and he, in Him is life. The claims right away cause them to realize, what do I do with the Word? In John 5, 25-26, John 5, 25-26, Jesus answers these Jewish religious leaders who are hassling Him. Which, as you know, in the Gospel of John, is just a, a constant series of interactions. In John 5, 25-26, Jesus, who in Him is life, He is now the way, He is the teaching, 25 and 26, truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming and is now here when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God. And those who hear will live, for as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son also to have life in himself. Do I believe him? What do I do with him? What do I do with this news? Thirdly, the life that is found in the Word is the light for all men. The life in him was life, and the life that is in him is the life is the light for all men. The Word is not a regional God. He's not a regional God. He is light for all men. In verse 4, we'll read the whole verse this time. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. Jesus is the one true hope. He is not a light to men. Jesus is the light to men. He is not a way of life. He is the life. In Him alone is life. He is self-sustaining. He's eternal. He is the only way. Every one of us must make a question. This is a very startling survey. We could do it in our own church and find out what it would come out here to as well. I won't quote any specific one, but I looked up several and there was a, quite a range, so I, I didn't settle on any one of them. But questions that are asked to surveys that are done to evangelical Christians asking, do you believe Jesus is the only way? Any one of them you look up will disturb you. Because I saw one of about 60% said that Jesus is the way, the only way, the only life. He's the only way, not a way to the Father. He is the way. He's the only hope. But that numbers will go all the way down to about 30 to 40%, depending on what you look at. Regardless, there is a multitude that John deals with in the good news right away that, that forces us to say, you know what, no, he really isn't a way. He is the way. He is the light for all men, for all women, for all old, for all young, for all languages, for all nationalities. Jesus is the way. As you're holding this good news in your hand, you realize the weight of the good news with every one of these ten threads, gets a little heavier to where you can't just shake it off and move on with your life. You must make a decision. What do you do with this good news? He truly is light for men. Do you believe that? So, so you don't need to respond. 
Because if you did, I know you'd go crazy, just amazing. But in your heart right now, just, just ask your, do I believe that Jesus is the light to all men and all other ways then are darkness? Do I believe that's true? Sit with it. Because if we believe that's true, that must shape our lives. That must shape our relationships. That must shape our time, our resources, everything. If that's true, then when we go to family gatherings, we go as missionaries. If that's true, when we go to our homes, we go as missionaries. If that's true, everywhere we go, the vacations we take, we go as small mission groups. If you believe he is the light, if you go back to college, those you college students that are here that are, that are going off to other places when the school starts back, you go off as missionaries to those campuses that God's deploying. Do you believe that's true? He's a light to all. In John chapter 8, verse 12 through 13, look at John chapter 8. John chapter 8, verse 12 through 13. This is gospel. This is good news. John 12 through 13. Again, Jesus spoke to them, saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me, whoever follows me, an open invitation, whoever follows Jesus will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So the Pharisees said to him, You are bearing witness about yourself. Your testimony is not true. Do you see what the Pharisees did? They recognize the weight of the good news. To them, it's not good news, it's bad news, and it's fake, it's false news. And so it makes the listener decide, do I agree with Jesus that he is the light to all men, or do I agree with the Pharisees that it is not true? We must choose a side. There is no, ah. We're siding with the Pharisees, or we side with Jesus, and it must shape our lives. Look on, fourthly, what does the light do? The light exposes the wicked. That's what the light does. We say, well, this is such good news. It becomes a question, if Jesus is really so great and he is God, he created all things, I mean, why wouldn't we throw a massive party? It should be the greatest news ever. It's the Messiah. It's the one the Jews waited on for centuries and centuries. He's finally here. Why would the Romans want any part in killing? He's, he's amazing. The Creator is here in flesh. What good news! The light is here. Why? Because this is what light does in verse 5, John chapter 1. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. The light exposes the wicked. It's what it does. what light does. It exposes the wicked. When Adam and Eve are known in their sin, what do they do? They flee. In their shame, they create their own coverings. They flee. We love the darkness, the things done in the secret. But light exposes. And when light comes into a room for the first time, what's it do? There's a natural, ugh. If you don't believe that, just pull back the blinds on somebody sleeping. I think that's my spiritual gift. I love doing that. Just my, my, Sarah beats me up. She returns a favor. But when the light comes in, there is a 
revolt to the light because it exposes us. Jesus is the truth, the light and the life. He exposes by nature of who He is. He exposes all. That all come short of the glory of God. Look to John 3, 19-20. See, those that love darkness will not be comfortable living beside the light. The desire will be to suppress the light or to extinguish the light. But they will not be successful. We cannot, darkness cannot overcome the light. But what they will do by default, in love of their sin and self-rule, is they will aim to kill the light. Notice in John 3, 19-20, and this is the judgment. The light has come into the world and people love the darkness rather than the light because their works are, were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light. does not come to the light lest his works should be exposed. Every single one of us has fallen and come short of the glory of God. Our allegiances are not to the light on our own. So to come to the light then is a decision to crucify our flesh. It's a statement of, as Stephen said multiple times, agreeing. It's repentance. It's agreeing. It's an agreeing and a reality of our sin and it's our need for the Savior, our need for the King. That His way is the right way. Jesus is the life, the light. It's in Him we have life. This is the good news. Fifth, the light has come into the world. The light exposes the wicked and the light has come into the world. So the Word, which was with God and was God, the light is the Word, the light, the life, has now come into the world. Verse 6-9, through nine, there was a man sent from John whose name was John. Or a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. Malachi spoke of him. The light is a real person. Believe this. We've heard some big weighty truths so far in these threads. That there was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The Word is in Him life. He has life in Himself. And he is the light. And now the light has come into the world. The light has taken a literal body. Fully man. He was seen by John. God sent John before He sent the light. And the light who dwelt among us, flesh and blood, able to be heard audibly. He shares his identity with Yahweh. He has come into the world. God not only took the initiative in creation, he took the initiative in salvation. He sent the Son and he sent the forerunner before the light who had become flesh. So in all that we see with the Son, through all of this book as we walk through this glorious gospel of John is we'll note the connectivity of the of the son to the father he's the son because of the father the father is the father because the son proceeds from him and we'll see the spirit and the father sending the son and the spirit the son and all that he does will do the works the father sent him to do he'll do them perfectly and he will be completely dependent upon the father he'll obediently be led by the spirit 
And after he leaves, he and the Father will send the Spirit. God is the initiator, not only of creation, but of your salvation, believer. The light has come into the world, and this is good news. It's worthy of our life. To know Jesus is to know life. For in Him was light. Sixth, the light had come into the world, but the light was rejected by His own people. Verses 10 and 11. Light was rejected by His own people. Verse 10 reads, He was in the world, and the world was made through Him, yet the world did not know Him. He came to His own, and His own people did not receive Him. He created the world. He created the people He came to and as. He came exactly where He would come, to whom He would come, the exact genealogy by which He would come. And yet they would not receive Him. The Jewish people, the Hebrew people, Israel, would not enlarge receive Him. They would reject Him and they would crucify Him. Not only that, but His own hometown would not receive Him. The Gospel of John, most would break it up into two sections. You have uh, the book of Signs, which is the first 12 chapters, and then the book of Glory, the later chapters. Now I want you to do, flip over to John 12 and notice this, this is the, the, the flipping point and the momentum of the book as most scholars kind of define this. Look at John 12, 37 through 43. The light was rejected by his own people. So he's doing lots of signs. He's touching unclean people, making them clean. In John chapter 12, verse 37 through 43, we see a greater rejection that Jesus knew would come. Yes, he's rejected by his own town. Yes, Israel as a whole would not receive him, but we see the greater rejection that will take place. 37 through 43, Jesus knew what would come. He knew the work that the Father had given him to do. And it reads, Though he had done so many signs before them, they still did not believe in him, so that the words spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. Lord, who has believed what he heard from us, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? And therefore they could not believe, for again Isaiah said he has blinded their eyes and hardened their hearts, lest they see with their eyes and understand with their hearts and turn, and I would heal them. Now look at verse 41. Isaiah said these things because he saw his glory and spoke of him. Hmm, who is that one? Nevertheless, many even of the authorities believed in him, but for fear of the Pharisees. They did not confess it so that they would not be put out of the synagogue, for they loved, listen, they loved the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from God. As a listener of this news, as one holding this news, we must make a decision. Earlier, it's with the Pharisees or with the Lord. Now it's, do I love the glory of man or will I choose to live in the glory of God and pledge my allegiance to this good news, to Jesus, the Word made flesh? You feel the weight of the gift of the good news. The light was rejected by his own people, and, but, verse number 7, thread 7, all who receive him, all who receive him, believing in his name, are adopted and born again by God. All who receive him. Doesn't matter your background, doesn't matter what you've done, doesn't matter your skin color, doesn't matter what sports team you root for, even Cowboys fans. All who receive him, believing in his name, are Adopted and born again by God. Verse 12 and 13 of John chapter 1. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, 
who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. This theme is everywhere through the gospel. We will see character after character witness from different backgrounds coming and confessing him and being made pure and holy and clean, adopted. Terrible backgrounds, terrible genealogies, terrible present sin struggles, given eternal life as children of God in the Son. That's the good news. All who receive Him, believing in His name, are adopted and born again by God. In John chapter 8, flip to John chapter 8, verse 39 through 42. See, believer in these times is your identity. The question becomes, what is my value and my worth and my beauty? Who am I? What the good news says first and foremost is it is in who is Jesus. Receive Jesus and receive the standing of beauty and holiness and purity in Him. And that's who you are. You're adopted by faith in Him. You're forgiven in Him. So believe in His name and walk out your forgiveness you've received in Him as a child of God in Christ by faith. That's good news, isn't it? What a reminder to us. This is our identity that bases all the rest of our supplementary identities. There's this incredible interaction with these Jews as you flipped over to John chapter 8, verse 39 through 42, who it appears believe. As you read through John 8, can't wait to get to that section. They believe, and you want to throw a party. This is great. But Jesus knows their hearts that they don't really believe. They don't really believe. And he calls them out for it. Because they hope to use Jesus rather than to follow Jesus and to trust Jesus. So look what he says in John 8, 39 through 42. All who receive Him, believing in His name, are adopted, born again by God. But these claim to believe, but they really do not understand. Verse 39, they answered Him, Abraham is our father. And Jesus said to them, if you were Abraham's children, you would be doing the works Abraham did. That's believing. Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him as righteousness. Verse 40, but now you seek to kill me. A man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. This is not what Abraham did. You are doing the works your father did. They said to him, we are not born of sexual immorality. We have one father, even God. And Jesus said to them, if God were your father, you would love me. For I came from God and I am here. I came not on my own accord, but he who sent me. To know, to trust, and to love Jesus is worth more than all the generations. So what do we see here? is that even those Pharisees who knew their genealogies, even these, these Sadducees that, 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 that prize and know their traditions, you, by believing in Jesus, can be forgiven and adopted into the family of God regardless of your past. What a gift. What good news. Eighth, the glorious Word, the one-of-a-kind Son of God, became flesh and dwelt among us. The glorious Word, the one-of-a-kind Son of God, The only begotten you're likely used to hearing. He became flesh and dwelt among us. Verse 14 through 16. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen His glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about Him and cried out, This was He of whom I said, 
he who comes after me ranks before me because he was born, he was before me. Verse 16, and from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. Jesus is the one of a kind Son of God. He is divine of heavenly origins. In him we have life. The glorious word, the one of a kind Son of God became flesh and dwelt among us. What do you do with that? What do you do with Jesus? In the Hebrew culture, in the Jewish culture, the homes were father-centered. Father-centered. So the father was the center of the home. And all that came off of it like spokes on a tire radiated off the father. So all that took place had the stamp of respect and honor from the father. It impacted everything. The homes were father-centered. Jesus comes as the the one-of-a-kind Son of God. And all that He does, He glorifies and He honors and He fulfills all the Father who so loved us would send Him to do. Same phraseology reminds us of Abraham in Genesis 22 who had climbed the mountain with his one-of-a-kind son, Isaac. willing to sacrifice him, yet God would send a ram that would get caught in the thicket that would take his place. The Father would send the Son, the one-of-a-kind Son, and there would be no other sacrifice at the top of the hill. It would be his Son. What great love is this? What do you do with this good news? Ninth, grace and truth are found in Jesus Christ. Grace and truth are found in Jesus Christ. Verse 17. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. In Jesus, there is an entirely new way, a new economy. Jesus is better. The Hebrew reading this must wrestle with who is Jesus? In Him is life. In Him is the way. In Him is grace and truth. Moses, when he interacts with hiding in the cleft of the rock and he comes down and, and even receiving the commandments before, what he glows with the presence because he was reflected the presence of the Lord that he was in. He glows, which is amazing. You read through it, the, the Bible, and you're like, this is amazing. Jesus doesn't reflect the glory of God. Listen, Jesus is the glory of God in flesh who dwelt among us. In Him is grace and truth. He is better than every way. The delight in Him is greater than every delight known to man. In Him is grace and truth. Believers, we need grace and truth. It's in Jesus. That's the good news. That's the Gospel. Grace and truth are in him in John 14. In John 14, 1 through 7, he says to his disciples, Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms, and if it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again, and I will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. And you know the way to where I'm going? Thomas said to him, Lord, We do not know where you're going. How can we know the way? 
Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do know him and you have seen him. Grace and truth are found in Jesus Christ. Jesus is the better way to however we do our life. Jesus' way is the best way. Jesus' way is the way. It's life-giving. It's illuminating. He is the way. Tenth, we find all our answers in Jesus. All the promises of God find their yes in Him. So we can say, go in grace. Because why? Jesus is the sent one of God, and by coming to Jesus, we come to God. Jesus is the sent one of God. And by coming to Jesus, we come to God. So what's the response that we do? Uh, John says at the end of John chapter 20, what's the response? Come and believe. That's the good news. Come and believe. Come and believe. Verse 18 of John 1, no one has ever seen God, the only God who is at the Father's side, but He has made Him known. God is spirit. He cannot be seen, but the Son is made flesh and dwelt among us. God with us. Emmanuel, we talked about that at Christmas Eve, right? Emmanuel, God with us. And what does God with us do at the end of the Gospel of Matthew? God sends us. And what does Jesus promise His disciples? I will be with you always to the ends of the earth. Jesus is the way. So come and believe. That's the invitation to the one holding this gift now, these ten threads. Come and believe. We are not... No man is with excuse. Come and believe and have life. What I want to do is I want to finish reading John 6, 43-47. It'll be the last that we read before our next steps. John 6, 43-47, I think depicts this in an unbelievable way. A beautiful way. So Jesus had just done this huge feeding. Huge feeding. Goes across the water. They come searching for him for a big meal. They want a big meal from Jesus, who they suspect could be the Christ. But they, what they do not want is a big God to take care of their sin and to lead their life. And Jesus knows this. And Jesus will speak of the manna that came before, the manna that filled Israel. The bread that came down from above. That's what Jesus claims. He didn't start here like we do. Elijah and others that didn't die. That just went up. Jesus isn't like them in that way. Jesus came down first. And he knows he will soon go up. But he looks at this multitude who has come for another meal. And he confronts them. Listen to what he says. Actually, we'll start in verse 41, 41 through 51 of John 6. So the Jews grumbled against him because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. And they said, is, is not this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? Remember, they came to him to feed him. He's already working miracles. How does he now say, I have come down from heaven? And Jesus answered them, do not grumble among yourselves. No one can come to me unless the father who sent me draws him. And I will raise him up on the last day. 
It is written in the prophets, and they will all be taught by God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. Not that anyone has seen the Father except he who is from God. He has seen the Father. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life, and I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the man in the wilderness, and and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven, so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever, and the bread that I will give him for the life of the world is my flesh. The imitation that Jesus gives is to all to turn and to come and believe in Him. To eat and to drink of Jesus is to come and to believe in Him. Come and believe in Him. Our next steps are the realization of what it is to hold the gift of the good news. The good news that John gives the listener at the very beginning. The weighty good news. That's to be the foundation for all of our life. For every relationship. For every desire, every plan in our hearts is to be founded upon the good news. Because here's what the good news does. Number one, this good news is meant to be received. That's number one. If you've not received Jesus as your King, if you've not received salvation in Him, do that today. Don't set this news down. Receive Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord today. Commit your life to Him. Abide in Him. Receive the forgiveness that He offers the adoption that you have in Jesus. Become a follower of Jesus. A learner of Jesus. The good news is meant to be received. You can mark that on your Connect card. You can come and talk to one of the staff up here afterwards. Talk to an elder at the door. Receive Jesus today. But for those of us who have received this good news, what do we do? It's meant to be received and transforming its recipients. This good news, perhaps in your walk, All of our walks, we go through times of forgetfulness. And perhaps this morning we've been reminded of the beauty and the power of this good news. And ask the Lord, Lord, how can I greater treasure the good news? How can I greater treasure Jesus this week in my life? What do you want me to do? Spirit of God, convict me, comfort me, show me how to greater treasure and to be transformed by the renewing of my mind and you and this good news this week. But finally, this good news is also meant to be shared. By nature of the good news, that's what it is. It's meant to be shared. Just as we receive it, we're meant to be proclaimers of it, every one of us. One of the ways that we proclaim it as a church body is through song. We stand and we unashamedly proclaim the good news of the Lord through song. But as we leave, we leave as proclaimers in every component of our life. Let me pray for us as we stand and sing. Lord, we love you and we thank you We thank you for the hope that we have in Jesus. God, would you raise our affections in a greater way? We know the power is in your word. We know the power is in Christ. We ask, God, that we would walk after you. We thank you for the forgiveness we've received in Jesus, and we're unashamed to reclaim your glory. Make that true evermore in the weeks ahead. And we are unashamed to be those who proclaim the good news of Jesus. Take root in our hearts, Spirit of God. We love you. and We proclaim these sweet goodnesses together as a church body in Jesus' name. All God's people said together, amen. Will you stand with me?